This episode of Your Neighborhood Black Friends is brought to you by Kelly's Olympian in Portland, Oregon on Southwest 4th and Washington. Check out Kelly's two weekly comedy open mics, Early Early Comedy Open Mic on Sundays at 4 p.m. and The Real Comedy Spot hosted by The Real Hijinks on Thursdays at 5 p.m. Learn more at kellysolympian.com and thank you, Kelly's. Well, welcome back. Here we are with your favorite neighborhood podcast, Your Neighborhood Black Friends. Hey, neighbor. Hello. It's good to be back. So good to be back. And I'm really, really excited for this episode with Portland's very own Sarah Merck. Hi. Hi. Sarah is an author. Sarah is a journalist. I don't know if you consider yourself former or current. I'm a current journalist. I'm a, I mostly describe myself as a comics journalist these days because I do a lot of nonfiction comics that I write, draw, and edit. Um... Yeah, and I do a bunch of other things, too. But What are those other things? <laughs> uh, I teach, yeah. So I teach workshops and uh, writing. And then um, I also work as an editor. So, yes, yeah, so I've written a couple books. Um, I'm a dog mom. Uh, what else? I think those are most of the things. Humble bragger. I'm one of those people with, like, six jobs. You know, capitalism. It's Multi-potentia. great. Multi-potentia. It. Yeah, six. And, uh, one plus one plus one plus one plus one plus one, plus one <laughs> equals zero. Yeah. <laughs> and you'll be able to retire when you're 90. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so my, like, regular job is I work as a digital producer for Reveal, which is, like, the Center for Investigative Reporting's Ooh, podcast. So that I'm would like be the, your job. I'm, like, the uploader person who puts everything on the website, do art direction. And then in my free time, I do a bunch of comics. Hot so. question for you. Is, and I know your illustrious career. Uh-oh. Is that the like most fit for your career? Like that to me sounds like signature Sarah Merck. Oh, <laughs> out of all of your jobs that you had, um, is this the one that's like most tied to your taste and your quirks? Working for Reveal, uh, it's really nice because I get to like play more of a support role mm-hmm. for like really cool reporters mm-hmm. and editors. I guess a lot of my work is like has my name on it, and I'm, I'm like out in front. Yeah. And honestly, I kind of like being the person behind the scenes. So I've like, always known to that like, about you. I yeah. love to like hire the people and like pay them a bunch of yeah. money, and then be like, "You did a great job." Yeah. But um, not actually be the person who's like in charge and has to like make all the extremely stressful decisions yeah. around what to publish, what not to publish, that kind yeah. of thing. So this job is like very chill for me because I'm used to having to be like the person who's like in charge of things, and it's yeah. cool to be more like. Oh, I'm behind the scenes. I, I like hire artists to make yeah. cool art and support reporters in their right in their writing, and that feels really good to me. That's so awesome. Yeah. What well, kind of like journalism do you edit then the most? Yeah. Ju- like, ju- is it mostly comics, or what's your background in journalism coverage? Yeah. Uh, okay. So I've worked in journalism for about twelve years. So I won't list like every job, but I started out at, at <laughs> no, the yeah, Stranger in Seattle. The, oh, cool. There. That's the sister publication of the Mercury. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then I worked at the Mercury for about yeah. four years doing like local reporting coverage. So like city hall, bikes, <sighs> sewer budget, that kind of stuff. And then I worked at Bitch Magazine, which is a feminist national magazine uh-huh. as the online editor there. So doing a lot of editing and writing about feminism and pop culture topics wow. and hosted a podcast there called Popaganda for about four years. We even and worked together on. Yeah. Some... And Cameron wrote some cool stories, yeah. um, did some cool pieces. About Devante Hart. Yeah. Rest in oh, fucking peace. God. So that 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 Oof. job was really cool because I got to work with like at least a hundred writers a year to like write about stuff that they really cared about and get yeah. it published. And I love doing that. And these days I work as a editor at the Nib, which is a comics publication. Uh-huh. So we the publish Nib. yeah, NIB like the pen tip. Yeah. Nib. 
I immediately um, went to chocolate nibs, but I knew it was probably about the Some people pen think nib. it's like a sexy thing. They're like the nip. And I'm like, no, the nib. <laughs> the nip. Or the bee. No, oh, like sexy. the nip? Free the, the nip. nip. Yeah, like free the free nip. Free the nip. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's comics. So we publish political comics and nonfiction comics. So I mostly edit um, nonfiction comics. So people are writing stories about their own life or mm-hmm. reporting stories that then they draw as comics. So I edit that kind of thing. And I just... Um, Gave Cameron a copy of my book, which is called Guantanamo Voices, True Stories from the World's Most Infamous Prison, which I edited. And it's um, about Guantanamo Bay Prison. And I interviewed 10 people who have spent time there in different capacities. And then uh, 10 different artists illustrated mm. the stories. So each chapter has like, yeah. is like a person's voice and it has a different visual voice as well. We'll so. plug it. Where can you people find it? it? <laughs> you can find <laughs> it at the library or wherever books are sold. Wow. Yeah. We got yeah. it like that. Yeah. It's like a real publisher. Yeah. yeah. I also do a lot of self-publishing. I like... I think it's really important to like publish your own work and put it out there uh-huh. and like not needs anyone's permission to publish. Yeah. feels important to me. But then for doing a project like this, like you need some money, you know, yeah, for sure. you got to pay everybody. So I'd actually wanted to make this book for like 10 years. And then finally was like able to get a book deal and like use that money to pay the artist to make it happen. So yeah, it's like a real book. It's hardcover. It's very cool. Wow. Well, you are a fire hydrant of creativity. And I just, I'm guessing that your dog child is probably very resentful <laughs> of their overworked mom. Oh, I'm spending so much time with my dog child. I take her to the dog park for an hour every day. Oh, wow. You and fit that in between, you know, writing award-winning yeah. books and producing digital podcasts. She wakes up at 6 a.m. Yeah. So I'm at the dog park like 7 to 8 a.m. every wow. day. Um, it's good in some ways. <laughs> it's really bad in other ways. <laughs> yeah, you need that, like that dog to kick you in the ass and say, get the fuck out of bed. Yeah, yeah. It's time to get going. Yeah. yeah, but then the dog sleeps all day after that, right? I know, she does. Yeah. yeah, she naps for like eight hours. The thing that I learned the most during the <laughs> pandemic is how damn lazy dogs are. Like, mm-hmm. I always thought they were running around the house while I was gone. I even wanted to like set up cameras to see what my dog was doing <laughs> when I'm gone. And no, now that it's the you. pandemic and I'm just at home, like my, I'm like, damn, bro, you are lazy. Yeah. What kind of dog do you have? I have a teacup Pomeranian. Wow. Yeah. Why Why do you want a Pomeranian? I don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, I that have, is your dog. Yeah, Holy no, wow. yeah. no, I have, Well, it's, it's just, just like I, now that I have, it, it's not a family-oriented <laughs> dog. Uh, yeah. He does, They're kind of bitey. Well, yeah, that, well, he's lost a lot of his teeth. He can't really harm the kids, but like basically... Kids come out of the womb bigger than him, uh-huh. and within, like, two weeks, they could kill him. And so, like, <laughs> he's just constantly on edge, like, thinking he's going to be attacked by a toddler any second, and then he does get attacked by toddlers, so. Yeah. I, I do think Poor my guy. puppy is kind of like a toddler mm-hmm. in that she's, like, destructive. And that sounds like my kids. She has a toy box where she goes and picks toys out and, like, Aww. leaves them scattered all over for you oh, to trip over. That sounds a lot like my kids, yep. It's a lot of similarities. She's, she's always hungry somehow, but also like very picky. So, Dude, you basically have a toddler. Yeah. <laughs> she's um, a dog mom. Yeah. So, yeah, that's... But, yeah, I like I like going to the dog park. So it's a cool place to, like, meet your neighbors. Met all the, met all the neighborhood dogs. Yeah. Got to meet some people. That's nice to be up early. Your neighborhood dog friends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I am curious. Next week's Your Neighbor Black Friend will be interviewing a dog. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, dog parks have really interesting social dynamics. Um, and you could you could make a whole zine about it or a whole show about it. Because people like introduce their dog. I'm a cat themselves. person. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. I'm out. I'm out. You don't like your cat. I don't like my roommate's cat. Yeah. 
my roommate's cat, and anyone, I'm not afraid to say that. Does anyone really like their cat? Because I feel like it's always Chris's a lovely cat. Thing. So our producer's cat, amazing I, bundle of joy. I've always liked my own cats and nobody else's cats. That's how <laughs> I've been. I feel like I have like a love hate thing with my cat because she doesn't really like me. That's cats. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you just have to accept. But that. you met Church. hungry. Hungry's chill. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 That yeah. is fuck. But yeah. Damn. Good cat. Bro. Good fat cat. shaming the cat. Yeah. I really want a rag doll. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. One of my neighbors has a rag doll and just. What is a rag? Like a blow-up doll. Like a floppy cat. Oh. Yeah, like, because that's the issue with a lot of cats. Like, you can't touch them in certain places. Yeah. And the ragdolls, like, don't give a fuck. You can just touch them anywhere, and they just lay flat. They just take it in. This sounds bad. Sounds like you want a cat that doesn't stand up for itself. Yeah. (laughs) Which is the whole great thing about cats is they have clear boundaries, you know? People always Mm -hmm. say, like, oh, cats are, like, anarchists. No, because, no, but they don't have boundaries. They don't respect our boundaries. And so the thing is, like, I don't just like anarchists. Where you can't can't touch me on my belly, but, oh, if you're using your laptop to work, I'm going to fucking get on you. And even if you put me down, I'm going to get back on you. Yeah, so cats are like anarchists. Yeah. Yeah. There's, like, (laughs) I I just, like, cats, like, don't believe in borders. They don't believe in closed doors. Except for their borders. They're, like, prison abolitionists. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't think you could try and make your cat human. I think you should just accept the cat as it is. No, I'm gonna get a ragdoll. Ragdolls That's are good complete advice. angels and so cute. I just love They're looking at ragdolls. Um, I'm curious about our state of journalism nationally and locally. Uh oh. Uh, is it shit? That's big. Is it shit? <laughs> wow. Well, so that's a loaded. Ask, that is already like a guilty by how you frame the question. Like, here's a leading question for you. <laughs> well, I mean, so here, like, here's why. What, I say this. what are you specifically have, concerned yeah, about? Yeah, so I, so I think we have attacks from both the left and the right against any media or information, calling it like mainstream, this and that. Right? We have reporters who don't. Uh, who can't burn their sources, obviously, and I'm often a source, right? And then, like, oft- and, and then, like, who also, you know, police are a really good source for reporters too, as well. So we have that dynamic, and then we also have, in my mind, any industry that is dominated by capital, uh, specifically one now with ad- that's dominated by like ads and stuff like that. That profit model. I'm not necessarily saying skews coverage and, you know, I'm sure some papers worse than others. I think most all journalists I've ever met have complete integrity and stuff like that and their mm-hmm. journalistic ethics. But obviously, you know, we see the Fox News or the New York Post and the Murdoch stuff owned things of the world or Sinclair and stuff like that. And then at the same time, we see people mistrusting the press from the right and we see people mistrusting the press from the left thinking it's too corporate. And then we see press not being able to make enough money like journalists and stuff like that, paying freelancers too much. And doesn't that all swirl around to maybe a shit storm? It's definitely a shitstorm, <laughs> but it's always been a shitstorm. Oh. So it's like, what flavor of shitstorm is mm. it today versus 50 years ago? I mean, if you look at like, I think people like to sort of like valorize what newspapers were like 50 yeah, years ago. Totally. But like, who was working for newspapers 50 years ago? Only white white men, straight men. You know, yeah. white straight men. Uh, yeah. Um, and Blame so on one, patriarchy. <laughs> yeah, and so one thing that's really, really, really good that's happened in the last, like in my lifetime, in the yeah. last 30 years has been that people have the tools to make their own media and mm-hmm. the ability to like break through into those more traditional media sources mm. and get paid. But then, mm. you know, if they're if they're kind of like saying things that people are uncomfortable publishing in those kind of publications, or if they have the kind of identity that people aren't comfortable hiring for those publications. Yeah. And by people, I mean white people. Yeah. Um, 
like they can get the funding and ability to make their own publications. And there's all kinds of problems with that as well. You know, yeah. so it's like, okay, well, like pick your poison. But I do point. feel like if you have something that you want to say and something that you want to share, it's it's more possible today than it was 50 years ago if you're not like a white straight guy and if you're not a billionaire. Totally. You know, so like most of the independent media in the United States is like funded by eccentric billionaires. Yeah. Or it's funded by members and donors. Mm -hmm. You know, so you can run a Patreon or you can be like like a public little public radio station and get mm. donations from your members. Even like the the newspapers here in Portland now are taking donations from members yep. rather than doing like a subscription basis. Yeah. And like that's that's totally fine, but there's also, you know, drawbacks with that. What happens when people lose their jobs and they can't support you anymore? Mm-hmm. But then the alternative is, like, literally an eccentric billionaire supports you. And, like, maybe that eccentric billionaire is, like, never mind. I'm not interested in media. I'm going to pivot to shoes. Big in space. Or space like exploration, you know? Space, yeah. Another one of our recurring themes. We're yeah. running for president. Like We're running for president. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. So they could be, like, you know, I, I have worked for publications before that, like, everyone was fired at the drop of a hat. And you see that yeah. all the time at these yep. like journalism startups because totally. the like and, yeah. eccentric billionaire dude in charge is like, never mind, I like video now, you know, and all but these good journalists. I wish I had that fucking yeah. type of money to be so capricious. Yeah. So here's With people's lives and livelihoods, you know? So do you have, like, what, what media do you follow that you really think is good? Like, what do you want to see more of? Sarah Merck. Um, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, so I, I, you know, locally... It's hard. Like I, I it doesn't have to be question. local, but just like in general, like when you wake okay, up in the I morning, mean, like what? Up, I'll say OPB. Yeah. Twitter. Twitter. Yeah, OPB yeah. is There's, probably my favorite yeah. local, and I think that that says something. And here's my alternative that journalists always shut down, but I've talked to some people at Metro about it, and but journalists hate this, um, and I'm curious for your take on it. Um, why don't we just publicly subsidize it? Um, media and so I mean we had like the arts Journalists tax and stuff like that? that because they cover the government uh, and yeah, so they yeah. don't want government money but what if well, we had an independent board in between that was subsidizing with a lot of public dollars like obviously we have like public broadcasting stuff not yeah. really the same um, is what I'm talking like about. you like a local funding for journalism versus like yeah. national funding which funds NPR yeah, and PBS yeah. and, and, um, and I don't think like you know, Ted Wheeler should be deciding what publications mm -hmm. get grants because then you would cover Ted Wheeler differently. Mm -hmm. But I think there being like an independent commission that gives to it could. But most journalists that I've floated this idea around think that that would take away their independence. But I'm like, yeah. you're that's the same relationship you have right now, but with the elite or with the wealthy yeah. business class and stuff like that. Why couldn't it be with the people? It sounds like you just invented cable access TV. <laughs> and I'm so, happy but for, for papers. You. Yeah. I think I'm really siding with journalists on this one. Because, really? Yeah. It sounds like this is a model that's already used with like NPR, but we still have space for market driven journalism. And I think that independence is important. That doesn't mean that we don't stop subsidizing journalism overall. We do need to allow for there to be fully independent journalism. But even NPR, there's ads for private companies on NPR. Yeah. And there, and it's not 100% government funded and, um, and it's not localized yeah. to, the, uh, to the impact that I'm talking about. I think it's another yeah. pick your poison kind of situation because mm. I could exactly. immediately yeah. see people being like, my tax dollars go to your newspaper and yep. you ran this smut. Uh, you know, yep. that kind yep. of thing. That's true yeah. too. Or like, Jeez. that kind of, but then also I think all these like poisons the news, are bad. Some news that I really love is like 
uh, podcasts from the BBC and from the ABC in Australia, yeah. which are like made with yeah. with public funding and Canadian media. There you go. Canadian yeah. media is lit, guys. If it you like want, if you want like good media, like there's some good Canadian media out there that's wow. independent, and and they get like it's mostly like public funding, and so huh. I don't know about the idea of like a local fund for it. I'm just like. You know, defunding the police is always an option. Yeah, there's <laughs> a lot of, there's there's a lot of money. money there. Their money's there. Just like reality. Yeah, or like a defunding bit. billionaires. Yeah, defund billionaires, <laughs> put that money into media. I think it's I think any funding source is always complicated mm. because people are very precious about their money and they wanna like decide what happens to it. So I don't think you're ever gonna have a solution that like everyone feels super great about. But I do feel like other countries that have a more robust public funding for their media do result in like covering stuff that's not just like the sexy kind of clickbaity news. You mm-hmm. know, they write about other places in the world, for example, you know, or can like have a reporter spending months and months working on something. On so, one story and not having to be a yeah. factory of clicks. Yeah, I've pretty much always worked for either nonprofit news organizations or independent, very small news organizations. Mm-hmm. And those all, of course, have their problems because it's a really small team. But mm-hmm. I would, I would personally not want to work somewhere that's like a big money yeah. organization because I think that it just feels gross. Yeah. <laughs> and I would rather be like funded by small, small people. Yeah. We also have a thing. It's in- truly a pick your poison thing, yeah. though, and that's what sucks so much about journalism. It's like, what is going to be crappy about <laughs> this company. Yeah, and it's not just journalism. I mean, it's Except kind for of Canadian, like, apparently. Yeah. It's the, <laughs> the non-poisoned form of journalism. They have good podcasts. If you're like, I've run out of podcasts. I love podcasts. I don't yeah. know if I'll ever Look up like well, the CBC podcast. They we do usually like get some really Canadian guests on our podcast so we can be popular yeah. in Canada. Yeah. I do yeah. start my day with the daily, like from uh-huh. the Times and stuff like that, which like, it, but it, it's less to be like, oh, I really feel informed in things and more to be like, this is what people are talking about today. This is what what you need to know today. <laughs> what you need to know today. Like yeah. he says it so weird. What you need to know to know today. Yeah, like, I can't even like do the it the weird, way that he does it. it. It's so this weird. This is what you need to know today. Um, and here's yeah. what else you need to know today. I've I like um, I get a lot of my news from podcasts because I yeah. find it very manageable to consume. Mm-hmm. Like the tidal wave of like Twitter headlines is really overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Whereas yeah. podcasts, I feel like they've had a little while to like digest what's interesting. Mm-hmm tell you what's important and like have some context to it versus just like, bah, like I'm screaming about what's happening today. And like, I have a terrible take. Right. Headlines are the worst. And that's my yeah. biggest complaint about journalism. Well, and oftentimes headlines. the journalists yeah. don't write the headlines too. Yeah. And then people start yelling at the journalists for the headlines. Um, and because of edit, but an editor yeah. wrote the headline often. Yeah. It's kind of difficult. What's your, what's your take on headlines? The worst, right? Um, I used to be really punny in headlines. I love that. I listen to this podcast <laughs> called The Press Box, and uh-huh. they do the strain pun headline of the week, uh, yeah. and they're just like the most hilarious things ever. Yeah. Do you and feel like headlines like help or hurt journalism? Uh, I don't know. That's a really broad question. You can't not, <laughs> you have, can't headlines, not have headlines, though, headlines. because people need to I know what they're the clicking I just think the culture on. that we currently have for headlines and the fact that they're designed by folks who really aren't, who yeah. go for like clickbaity instead algorithms. of like actually what is in the article. Yeah, I think that can definitely be a problem. Um, I feel like we're kind of like moving out of like the like the upworthy era and like the BuzzFeed era mm. of being like, yeah. like I cried reading about this woman. <laughs> yeah, yeah so, or Ten like things that you yeah. need, didn't know about Kate Winslet. Yeah, or like <laughs> I feel like the blog era was like 
was like, it happened to me. Mm-hmm. Like, I like tripped on a rock. Yeah. And you're like, I, have some, I read this article for some reason. And, um, and now I feel like headlines are a bit more straightforward, but. Good. I think it's another thing. What, where, where do your news come from, Cameron? Like, like what do you wake up and actually want to listen to? I like to? headlines because then I don't I, have I'm, to read I'm the article. I'm a local news person, so I don't do a lot of national. Oh, yeah? So oh. You know, my go-to is don't hurt me for this, but it's Willamette Week. I'm not going to hurt you. I worked for the rival paper, the Portland Mercury, but I think Willamette Week does a, does a totally I, good job. The soul. They got the heartbeat my of the soul, city. Yeah, my soul is with the Mercury, but like Willamette Week, they've just got a really sharp shop. You know, they're on it. Yeah. You know, they've got more staffing to cover more. And that's really the reason why I go I am not them. interested in journalistic rivalries of any kind. Yeah. I feel like all it's, journalists, like they got to be yeah. in it together because there's like not very no, many no. of them. Yeah. It's so hard. And, being uh, somebody that is often like weekly having to pitch stuff, yeah. right? Um, I'm. Do you pitch fo- stuff? Do you write too? No, or you I just pitch to journalists. Oh, oh, yeah, I like see, pitch I a see. story to yeah. journalists, like for my consulting or something like that. Um, or when I was running campaigns and stuff like that, like pitching stuff to journalists and like the territorialism about stuff. Like mm. when we when we were first doing protests, and this is different because it would be events versus a scoop, right? Mm-hmm. But we would throw a press advisory out and be like, we're going to have this protest at this place. And every place would cover it and everybody would be there, right? But if I say this poll is being released and send that to everybody, zero people will cover it if they think everybody else got it. Oh, that's I have to, and I, th- I don't mm-hmm. know if it's been a shift in the last four or five years or what, but I have to literally call somebody and be like, do you think this is a story? And they'll be like, I don't know until you give it to me. And then I'll give it to them and then tell them it's embargoed or give them like a couple days or I'll be like, it's embargoed to everybody else. So you have this for two days on your own. Uh And then you try and keep everybody fed or else they hate you. And it's like, (laughs) it's the, it's so hard. And I would just much rather give everything, everybody at the same time or embargo it for the same time. We have completely different journalists stories. I well, feel like I just had the lovely Sarah Merks of the world always be like, Cameron, we need your expert opinion on this. So like, well, yeah, if just, I'm getting asked for a quote, that's I know. different. Yeah. But yeah. for me pitching, like, please write about the bike bill or something like that. It sounds like you're like the WikiLeaks where you're like, just like release it to the world versus like now what it sounds like what's frustrating to you is you have to kind of like handhold and coddle people and be like, I have a very special story for you and it's very important. It's just Mm -hmm. for you. I wrapped it up in a Christmas bow. But not only that, but then once it drops, somebody from another paper will call me and say, why didn't you give me that? That's interesting. I've never had a reporter do that to me. I mean, I'm literally weekly have. Yeah. I think like it's maybe. Multiple pitches. I think it's yeah. a little bit different with like political news, which for some reason yeah, people are like. Yeah, the city hall beat is really, and that's oh, usually I what I engage yeah. with. Polit- the city hall beat is. I never. Bad. I used I to cover city hall, and I always hated it because I felt like. Because it's a shit show. Yeah, and all my stories and everybody came has from. Their person. Yeah, every, yeah, all my stories came from yeah. somebody who has an axe to grind. Yep. Yeah. And then, yeah. or, like, just nobody was ever straight yeah. with me. Mm-hmm. Like, right? Yeah, like, like everyone was always like, I've got an they angle. Got an agenda, yeah. And even if they give you a good story, it's because they're, like, working an angle against somebody else. There's, like, machination. And then you feel weird yes. writing it, yeah. right? Even yeah, if it is like, a good story. Yeah. Like, Can you're you like, imagine okay, that it's gotten worse, bidding. though, now? Oh, that's <laughs> bad. Right yeah, I'm always just interested in, like, I like to write about whatever I'm interested in and whatever I think is important. And, like, that is... Uh, I guess not compatible with covering City Hall. Well, and then yeah. the thing is they want to go so quick yeah. and some of these things take real deep dives, but yeah. they won't do the deep dive if somebody else has done it really quick. 
Mm-hmm. And so we just let stories sort of just come out in their original form. You know, there are some things where papers will go back and forth and really dig into it and stuff like mm-hmm. that. But there are other things. I mean, uh, you read the Willamette Week. They did that big um, in-depth thing about Officer Number 67, I think, mm-hmm. and, like, discovering who he was and, like, all of this stuff. If we would have had all the papers working on this, who is Officer yeah. Number 67 doing this, we probably could have got the bottom of this and it would have been a better public service. Mm-hmm. But because somebody else is already on this, we everybody else sort of backs off. And also, I should stop talking about the media because I have to deal with them every day. So <laughs> yeah. I well, should not dig myself too big No, I think that makes total <laughs> sense. And that's a totally legit criticism, which is like, okay, like you're like, it really should be about like telling the stories that are accurate, relevant and interesting to the city, mm-hmm. not being like, I got it first, you yeah. know? And honestly, I think people are super stretched. Like reporters are always so super true. stretched where if you can like tie a story up on a bow and which means like it already conforms to what they already mm-hmm. think is going to happen. Mm-hmm. That makes it way easier for them to write about, which yeah. is a huge problem because then it it's hard to tell any kind of like challenging narrative, mm-hmm. you know? So that's that's tough. And really, I feel like. I really like working collaboratively with people and journalism can sometimes be pretty bad for that because people are not collaborative at Mm. all. Um, Especially across platforms. Yeah, yeah. one thing, like, that's cool about Reveal where I work right now is, like, all the stories are, people can republish them for free. Mm. And so, yeah, like, all the content, it's not like Creative Commons, but you can just request to reprint it. Yeah, I'm about to start my own journalism company. Yeah. And there's going to be a lot of interesting yes. articles that you might see. We're yeah, and all, and all the We're data. called the reprint. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you totally should. I'm always yeah, like, like I mean, every student newspaper should just take our work and like reprint it. Or yeah, like, well, and all the data is shared. So like, like there's this big re- this reporter, Will Evans, who looks into Amazon. He's mm-hmm. like one of the only reporters like really digging at Amazon. And they got all these workplace complaints, like who's getting injured in Amazon warehouses. Mm-hmm got like hundreds of these reports and then share this with other media so like you can write about the warehouse that's in louisville you can mm-hmm. write about the warehouse that's in portland it's not just me hoarding this data you know and a lot of journalists now seeing the subscription model and building their own brand and stuff have now moved to the Substack model right um yeah and some of them are selling their stuff to papers. So, like, I just recently heard about um, uh, the New York Post, like, posted an Andrew Sullivan column and was like, this was not, we didn't pay, in, or we didn't commission Andrew Sullivan to write this, but we got it from a sub We just reprinted it. From, from a, a substack. Looks like yeah. somebody already stole your reprint idea, and it's called the New York Post. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> well, well, you don't want to copy the New York Post. But, but, I mean, isn't that interesting, though, the way that, like, some people are able to break through even the need for publication? just based on their brand like I could see like a Maggie Haberman yeah. being able to do that any day mm-hmm. now like okay one more question um, okay. from me and then I guess I might let this guy talk <laughs> um, liberal media bias right okay so I've heard of that. Yeah. So where is he I've going? seen it on the, a bumper sticker. So, but here's the thing. Yeah. So here's that's funny. So here's the, imagine that being like your crusade. Like I'm putting this. I want on you just to end the question yeah. there. Liberal media bias. So. The thing is, this is the same for, like, scientists where they're like, oh, all these scientists are in on the fix on climate change, right? Uh To me, it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy because by being in the media, you have to engage with a large swath of people. You probably have an education. You probably um, uh, are not incredibly ignorant. Are you trying to say nice things because you work with reporters? No, but I'm just saying because of that... 
leads you to be more on the left side of things, right? Because and so isn't there a liberal media bias, but isn't that natural because the left side of things is more right? I mean, like on climate change, like there's a liberal bias on climate change because they believe scientists. What do you mean by bias? Do you mean reporting the facts? Yes. Well, I think that's what they do sort yeah. of mean, right? So, like, is there a way to break through that? Or are yeah. those people who call the media liberal bias? Yeah, I'm not saying... People I can't see of, my air quotes. But so, like, I, think, <laughs> I think bias, you know, is, like, the, the lens that you bring to any story because of your experiences in your history, mm. which, like, every journalist mm. is biased because we're humans. Every human yeah. is biased. Yeah. What yeah. you think of as important to report on, who you think you should talk to is shaped by your bias. Yeah. And so I think that there's like this myth that like, oh, journalists are objective. They're like robots just Mm, reporting the truth. And no, like everybody brings their bias to their stories. Yeah. Yeah. That bias is shaped by your race. It's shaped by your gender. It's shaped by your lived experiences. So like, I just think that's important to say that like, yeah, like every story is, is biased by Mm. who is writing it. Yeah. But whether there's like, like a political conspiracy to like report Mm. leftist ideas or just like because people who are interested in like not making very much money while talking to strangers happen to be more liberal and those people are journalists, does that influence the news that we read? Honestly, I don't think our news is very liberal at all. I think our news is like, is like conservative. Yeah. Like when you think about yeah, totally like Medicare for all is not going to be covered yeah, fairly it's like or not Bernie Sanders on, or something yeah. like that. It's like talked about as like a, like a, like a wild idea, yeah. you know, yeah. and the amount of time that it's taken for mainstream publications to be able to like, say like there is a consensus on climate change. And like, yeah. we were actually yeah. going to write about that, like on the front yeah. page of the paper, rather than writing about it as like, like there's a debate going on or even, you know, we saw this with the election of, after the election of Trump, yeah. how many stories did we see with like one Trump voter's opinion? Like, let's talk to this man or the in audit Wisconsin. in Arizona is happening. Right. We're going to report on it as if it's fact based in fact. Yeah. For example, let's look at like abortion. For example, when you mm. look at like stories about abortion, they're usually framed as a controversy. Yeah. And it's usually pinged off of, mm. Oh, there's like uh, a right wing group is proposing a law in a place like South Dakota to ban all abortions. Yeah. That's driving the agenda, and so therefore that's driving the media. Reporters are like, oh, there's something happening. Mm. But like a majority of Americans support abortion rights, like a vast majority. Yeah. Support the right to legal and safe abortions. Mm-hmm. But like writing a story that just says like most Americans support abortions is for some reason like not news. Like, yes, yeah. most Americans still support abortion rights. Mm-hmm. It's a Tuesday, yeah. you know? Yeah. And so I do and feel we like... we talk about these uh, conservative activists as being fringe. They're yeah. just like a prominent anti-abortion group. Yeah, it's like yeah. a both sides of Like, it's thing. not seen as, like, news for some reason when you're reporting people's lived experiences that are not, like, seen as, like, controversial or driven by a political agenda, yeah. you know? There's so, always got to be conflict. And that's something that Drama. I think, like, right-wing groups have been extremely good at doing yeah is like proposing absolutely ludicrous bills that will never pass yeah. just to get that to media coverage or doing things like staging big rallies. Critical like, race theory. Yeah, making things Christ. a controversy that then that like drives the media coverage yeah. versus just like, can we just have a profile of like a really cool teacher who talks right. about race in their class? Yeah. You know, Who so has to buy her own supplies. I do think that like our media can be a real like this dog. This is and, Greg's topic this yeah. week. <laughs> our media can be a real I like dog and stuff. pony show with yeah. like the yeah. right wing groups driving the wagon. And I don't like jumping when someone says jump, you know? 
And so I do think that that's a problem is like reporters kind of like, like taking the bait from right-wing groups and reporting and like letting them set the agenda versus being like, what, like if we're representative of like actual people in the United States, like what do most people believe or care about? What do most people look like? You know, why is writing about anybody who's not white seen as like, like, oh, that's on like our special page. You know, that's yeah. like in our special issue, yeah. you know, or it's written about it just because of their ethnicity. Like, oh, like what do Latino people in Portland think versus like, we just wrote about something that's happening, you know? Yeah. So um, I do think I, I get really frustrated with a, like, I mean, even the daily, which I listen to every day, takes the bait all the time from right wing groups, letting them set the agenda and be like, okay, we're going to write about this bill rather than like Marjorie people's Taylor, actual lived Taylor experiences Green and stuff like that every day. Yeah. So, so I love talking shop. Whew, okay. But I also, I want to talk about Sarah Merck. Uh oh. <laughs> the sweat beads are falling. No, I actually want to mm. first start I off by saying. I think we're out of time, guys. <laughs> what? I think we're out of time. You're out of time. Well, I guess I'll start talk, talk, talking about you first. Oh, no. Oh my gosh, really? <laughs> I, I always like <laughs> I open like, book now, shut. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you have a dog emergency? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I want to go first to make okay, it easier. My dog is go. calling. So Sarah, <laughs> you and I, we've actually known each other for a very long time. You're one yeah. of the oldest folks that I know in Portland. <laughs> I'm 34 years old. No, like I'm 31. Longest term. Longest folk. people that I've known. <laughs> Sorry. But I've yeah. known you for the oldest time. And I just said it again to prove a point. So like we go back to 2011. Oh, and yeah? that's pretty much when I came to Portland. I, came to Portland I remember when you came for the Occupy protests yeah. and you were super active yeah. and then you were protesting outside City Hall and, and you went on the hunger strike. Yeah, and yeah. Everyone We've been was worried you were going to die. You featured my cat. You wore, a sh <laughs> you wore a shirt that said suicidal tendencies. Hat. A hat that said yeah. suicidal tendencies during the hunger yeah. strike. And you illustrated my face. Yeah, that's true. And we worked yeah. together at Know Your City. Mm -hmm. You know, you printed these extremely popular comics that you know, I was able to promote and help get sold. Um, and so I've just been able to see you and your work in so many iterations and I've known you for so long and I did want to open up for say that from the moment I met you, I'm about to get on my knees, but you have been one of the most delightful people that I've known. Oh, thanks Full Cameron. of creativity, full of passion, Aww. full of humility, you know, being approachable, being friendly, being someone honest with integrity. I've always seen that uniqueness of your spirit. And even though, you know, with this pandemic, we've not seen each other, uh -huh. you know, it's felt like two years, but I will be very honest and say, Sarah, that I, when I think about you being present on this planet, it gives me peace. <laughs> oh, and there's so something <laughs> unique about you, Sarah Merck, where I'm like, I'm just glad that the world has Sarah Oh, that's Merck. so sweet. I feel yeah. the same way about you. I hope, oh. I hope, I hope you stick around Tell for me a more. While. <laughs> <laughs> I admire your courage, uniqueness, nerve, and talent. And, uh, Let's no, stop. <laughs> no. Of course. See, <laughs> once we get to the niceties, Greg's like, I don't, I'm out. We can I'm just out. skip Podcast Greg. Over. You've never said anything nice about me ever. And we just did five minutes of Sarah Merck ads. Every time that I lie about you, Greg, is that is that's when I say nice things. So like great dad, uh, you know, really Stop hard it. worker, <laughs> really passionate about the city, change agent, you know. So I do say nice things, but they're typically lies. What people can't Back tell about Sarah. you on the podcast is that you have a really great smile. Thank you. Maybe the best smile in the city. Stop it. God, can we? Stop yeah, it. I stop love it. this. Greg, you had your time. Greg so. has nice shoes. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Dude, that felt like an insult. Damn, yeah, like Cameron didn't buy a smile. Like I had to buy my compliment. Jeez. I did compliment you on your shirt earlier. Yeah, it's a nice shirt. Someone else had nice shirt. me on my shirt. Were you too, like on so. TV today or something? I sort of had Also a, drive oh, a nice yeah. car. Yeah. Oh, I do drive a nice car. He has, has a, a really bu- nice painting in his house. I, I have a Biden bumper sticker, <laughs> a Sarah 2020 bumper sticker, and a baby on board bumper sticker <laughs> on my old ass Mercedes. Okay, I got to bring it back though, because Sarah, you're deflecting. Okay, we are talking about yourself, and we just want to tell a little bit about your life story and how you became to be this awesome ball of stardust. Um, geez, I, I don't know. <laughs> I just Start from the beginning. You know, I don't know. I'm, Where I'm, were you raised? I'm, oh, I'm from Southern California, originally from a small town. Okay. Yeah. And I've always loved... Siblings? I have an older brother. Older brother. Okay. And... I'm also a youngest. See, that's why we yeah. have that affinity. I'm a youngest also, and but okay, I guess Greg, I'm just your over time here. Over. Greg's <laughs> also fine, has great shoes. Jesus uh, Christ, yes. How do all of our guests Greg's. get the bit so quick? Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, my, my brother and I just like... Always like grew up writing and drawing together. Amical? Yeah, Sibling amicable. For, no rivalries. Yeah, no, no real rivalries. Good. And like, I don't know. My parents just treated both of us the same. Like, not wow. a lot of gender differences or um, saying I had to do one thing and he had to do something different. Like, yeah. not a lot of pressure there. And what'd you do so, with that freedom? I read a lot of books. Woo! Yeah, I was like, I would like come home from school and like sit in the backyard in a hammock Mm in Southern California and like read books until the sunset and it was too dark to read. And that was like my happy dream place. So poetic. And then like the same cloth, you and I. Yeah. And honestly, like, like I didn't have a ton of friends because I was not. Who needs them? (laughs) I just liked hanging out by myself and like writing and drawing. And then. What, what did you read as a kid? What, what really like transformed you i loved like lord of the rings okay. red wall fantasy animorphs <laughs> animorphs i read every single animorphs oh my gosh um, team tobias and then i loved once i found out about historical fiction it was like all over you know if you're writing a novel about the transcontinental railroad starring like a spunky yeah. teen i have definitely read that book wow you know um so yeah, a lot of that kind of book. And then I loved reading, like I would read like the New York Times every Sunday, starting in like sixth grade. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and so like, you're like always 11 like, years old reading yeah. New York Times. Wow. And like always just thought it was such a cool idea to like be a journalist and get to like explore whatever it is you're and interested in. And you did in. exactly what you dreamed of. Yeah. Wow. And then, and then also at the same time, I always drew and, and read comics. And so. you do that fucking too. Damn. Yeah. So I grew up reading like Mad Magazine. And I'm not in the NBA. <laughs> you know what? You still have time. Yeah. Oh god. Wait, still have time. <laughs> I don't think his shoes will get into the yeah. NBA. You could be like a I don't know, like the manager maybe? Yeah. The guy on the sideline? No. Press comms for yeah. I can see you doing that. All right. We'll yeah. get there. It'd be an easier beat than politics. Oh my god. What about yes. a mascot? Oh my god! <laughs> I fucking love this. Is what I love You're going too hard. Oh, I think I see Blaze the Trail Cat in your future. <laughs> oh my Honestly, god. I would do it. Yeah. I think I would do it. I would if do I could it. Fit sounds fun. Yeah, Sarah, you have to teach me because I've never been able to put Greg in his place so fucking artistically. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like, yeah, I grew up reading comics, grew up making comics. And then I think like most kids, like at some point, kind of get told to stop. Like, mm-hmm. oh, like don't don't write like it's a waste of time yeah. or you never make any money. Like yeah. that's not a real job. Or if you draw, there's this real kind of like anxiety around comparing yourself to others. Like, Oh, I'm not a good, I'm not good at drawing. Other kids are 
I'll just stop. And I, I honestly, like, I'm really lucky that I never had that. I just kept yeah. drawing and kept writing. I have a pitch for your next comic series, and I promise you'll be a bestseller. You ready? Oh, I got one too. A guy gets bitten by a spider. <laughs> Damn. Oh, he gets super God. spidey powers. <laughs> And he can shoot webs. You're going to get something thrown at your face right now. I don't know. That <laughs> sounds going. totally weird. No, really I don't my think bad. it'll yeah, sell. Scratch that. It won't sell. Unoriginal. Okay. So my story pitch, yeah. a day in the life of Greg's shoes. Oh, come okay. on. Yeah. D- yeah. They get put on when I leave to come to the podcast <laughs> and that's it once a week. And yeah. then that's all. No, it'd be like anamorphic. Like this, the shoes would come to life and it'll be telling the story. Like of- Toy Story? Pr- yeah. Okay. Exactly. Wait. Uh, quick question: DC Shoot. or Marvel? Um, I don't. I don't do. I, I don't really fuck either, with either. Ever? Yeah. No. I mean, I really like Marvel. I do more alternative Capcom? comics. <laughs> yeah. Though I ha- I did just read. There's some good DC books. There's some good Marvel books. It really, really depends like on the writer and the artist. Do you like the me. movies? Ew. I am the not. The Marvel movies. No. I am not up on the movies. Oh, I love the Marvel. Uh, movies. The last like Marvel DC movie I yeah. saw was like Black Panther. Which I thought was really Which is good. an exception. Yeah. yeah. It is an exception. Yeah. I loved I loved the costume design. Yeah. I loved many things mm. about it. I think when that's I first saw Black Panther saw. was on an airplane going to visit a booty call in New York, which was a two super mistake. Let's but I had it. Transition the podcast. <laughs> We're talking about that story now. <laughs> oh, terrible. Um, if you're listening, Constantine, eat shit. And so with that <laughs> I want to hear more about Constantine. Not, I don't want to go. That's so, a hot name. I, I will. Yeah, it's a very hot really name. It's a really hot name. Is he like a, was he like a fallen angel? Yeah. Did he have an accent by any chance? Was he wearing? Yeah, he was Greek. Um, what? Living in Amsterdam. Oh. So I'm, I'm not going to get into the details. How but much like leather was he wearing? amazing. Zero leather. That's weird. What about he had pleather? too much cologne on Wasn't wearing like, no. I imagine, I imagine no. like pleather pants. Things. None of those Not too much cologne. None of those things. Well, what was wrong with them? Did he have long, long, luscious hair? Yeah. No. Medium shaggy. Okay, well. But the the one, I'm not going to get into the story. Is he a good cook? We didn't. Okay. We we did not focus on food. But anyways, so the one funny story was that I was having lunch with a friend here in Portland, and they were like, "Oh yeah, I know all about your Greco Amsterdam." Because like we were talking just about sex, and like I don't date in Portland, so people really can't be be like, "Oh, I know." Because I've I've not had those interactions. Too close to home. I travel a lot, so let's just keep it there. Exactly. (laughs) And so uh, this. My friend was like, oh, yeah, well, I know all about you and your sex life. I'm like, no, you don't. He's like, oh, yeah, I know about your Greco-Amsterdamian romance. Like, this guy lives in Amsterdam. So I'm like, how the fuck do you know about Constantine? Uh, apparently, Constantine has this jungle fever and just, like, finds oh, really? black men across the globe to, like, hit on. And so he met my friend and was, like, black and gay uh-huh. and was like, oh, sent a picture of me over to, my, to this black gay guy because apparently we all know each other. And in this circumstance, we did. <laughs> and he was like, oh, yeah, that's Cameron Witten. And Constantine said to him, he really hates white people. Because we got into a big fight about Black Panther. Fucking racist. I know. I was telling him that I really hated the ending where he was like, we're one big tribe. Mm, yeah. And even Chadwick said that yeah, shit. Killmonger was, was right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You know, and he just didn't want to hear. It. He was like, well, the Black Panther, I'm like, listen to the actor who's actually black and not just fucking scripted. Yeah. Also is agreeing with me. So stop agreeing with a fake character. You have no idea what you're talking about and listen to actual black people. We just couldn't stop fighting about that. And so mm-hmm. that is the story. Mm-hmm. But anyways, I watched it on the airplane on the way to New York and I was loud black person on this plane. I'm surprised like they didn't laughing, throw me off. shouting, yeah. Laughing and shouting. Oh my yeah. God. And I was actually I sitting next to my friend so who was <laughs> literally on the same plane as me sitting next to me. He was like, Cameron, <laughs> shh, 
you're loud. I'm like, I don't fucking care, man. No. I did. That's I how you end up on TikTok. Person in a kicked out of movie a movie theater yeah. on a plane. Yeah. Like that should have been a fucking movie. <laughs> All right. Well, we got to wrap it up because we're getting kicked out of here. Okay. Well, we need five more minutes. Okay. No, we literally are getting kicked out of here. I don't they better call the police. Let's say like one more question and then I can okay. go and you guys can we go. We need to talk about Guantanamo voices. And so okay. one of the most recent accomplishments that you achieved is this beautiful book. And you know, it already reminds me of work that we did previously with Know Your City uh-huh. called the voice, uh, what was it called? Oh, the Oregon History Comics? Oregon History Comics. Uh-huh. Um, but one of them was called Voices of Celilo Falls. And so the, uh-huh. even the cover reminds me of Voices of Celilo Falls. Yeah, the cover is like based on a postcard that they sell at the gift shop at Guantanamo yeah. Bay, yeah. which is like um, a postcard of the of Guantanamo, and it's like pretty and sunsetty. So I want to take that as like the cover because it was yeah. about like, okay, here's the image that the government's selling of this prison. Yeah. And then if you look a little closer, there's these like surreal disturbing scenes, like a hand yeah. with blood on it and a person with a hood on their head. Yeah. So it's like, oh, here's like the disturbing scenes that, that happen if you look a little bit closer. So that's yeah. what's going on with the cover of the book. That's amazing. And this book has already gotten an award. Yep. It won the Lind Ward Prize for from the Penn State Library System for wow. the best graphic novel of the year. Wow. So... That's exciting. And it was just Humble nominated for an Eisner, which is a big award. So it feels good. And all the artists who worked on the book were great. And it was a like, collaborative experience. Yeah. So it feels really good. Guantanamo, it is in many ways an esoteric topic because it's not at the front of our minds. Like, how did you become an author for something that most folks don't think about day to day? Um, honestly, about 10 years ago here in Portland, I was making a zine. Mm-hmm. And the person making the zine next to me was working on a zine about their um, experiences working as a prison guard at Mm. Guantanamo Bay. And this person had like tattoos and was wearing a shirt that said, fix shit up. And I was like, you were like a prison guard at Guantanamo Bay? And they told me their whole story about being in the National Guard in order to pay to go to college and then winding Mm. up being deployed to Guantanamo. And through, they became an activist against the prison and they were invited to go on a speaking tour with some former prisoners. Mm -hmm. Um, This was right when Obama was inaugurated, so January 2009. Mm -hmm. And I got to go along with them and document that tour, so I met some former prisoners, and I met some people who had served at Guantanamo, and I just thought, like, wow, I didn't know anything about this prison that was made in our names as Americans, and what I do learn blows my mind. So since then, I've been wanting to, like, do more to, like, change the narrative about Mm -hmm. the prison um, and do, like, a big book project. So it's really been, like, 10 years in the making. That's incredible. What is one thing, major takeaway, that you think folks will get from this book? Um, Guantanamo still exists. There's 39 people there. Newsflash. Yeah, it's been around for 20 years. And, you know, it's a prison that's been made in our lifetime and can be unmade in our lifetime. Powerful. Thank you, Sarah. Thanks, Um, guys. I do need to end with a final question because you have (laughs) such an illustrious life, an illustrious story. And I'm just wondering, what do you think will be your greatest legacy from all that you've contributed to this world? Raising a beautiful dog. No, shut the hell up. <laughs> How dare answer. you? Good How answer. dare you? That is a terrible answer. Good answer. Because nobody even knows. I didn't know you had a dog until this moment. So, like, try again. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You know what I really like? I really love making work that then other people see and it inspires them to make work. So, like, I make yeah. scenes and books and then people pick them up and then they say, hey, I... I use this and I made my own scene or this like taught me how to make a book myself. And that's, that's what I really love is making something that 
inspires other people to make their own thing that's totally different than mine. Yeah. And my dog. <laughs> <laughs> well, as I said earlier, Sarah, uh, I am in true full amazement of you and your gift to this world. Thank you so much for being on this podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Thank you. And that was our interview with the true star of the show, Sarah Merck. And now it's time for the hot take. Wow, I feel like you guys conspired against me for before the show. Like, this is our first guest that was just on page with you for just making fun of me from the start. But I mean, Greg, let's think about it practically. How I, much effort do you actually put into getting guests on the show? <laughs> wait, no, a lot. How many guests have you brought into the show? How many times have you tweeted to ask who we should have as guests? And also, I've brought in Mike Capes. One person who hasn't been on the show yet. I yeah. was saying, out of the five episodes we've done, mm-hmm. I'm just saying, I, you shouldn't be surprised that these folks like me. And so you are honestly, conspiring. I think the guests that you're inviting probably don't love you that much anyway. So, <gasps> <laughs> Oh, my God. The next one I was going to invite was Candace. You're saying Candace doesn't like me? She probably likes me more. <laughs> Damn. All right. Well, next time we'll have my wife on. <laughs> <laughs> Still Don't think a it's a bitty bitty shot. <laughs> How did you think that interview was? What it was wonderful. Optic? Yeah. She is a true amazement, and I wish we had more time with her. So sucks that the venue kicked us out because I think we could have stayed here a lot longer just hearing just all of her creativity. She is a goddamn ocean when it comes to creativity. Amuse. Yeah, my favorite part that obviously I went into a rabbit hole with her on is just talking about the state of journalism Mm -hmm. in our city um, and nationally. I think it's really interesting because Mm -hmm. journalism is this huge, like, pillar of our society that needs to exist, Mm -hmm. but yet it seems like everybody, like, hates journalists. It's sort of like everybody hates their congressman or, like, Congress, Mm -hmm. but, like, continues to vote for their congressman, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's like the approval rating of Congress is horrible, but, like, the approval rating of your congressman is usually pretty high. Mm -hmm. And so it's just really interesting to me to talk to somebody who has been not just a journalist, but also sort of been able to be outside of journalism and look at it from an outside perspective as well. To be you able think people hate journalists, though, or just, like, the boogeyman that is news? Uh, I feel like people are like, Rachel Maddow, Anderson Cooper. Like, well, nobody's Anderson like, Cooper, maybe. I mean, Andrew what, who Cuomo. Who hates Anderson Cooper? He's a silver fox. Andrew Cuomo. Um, I met Anderson no, Cooper No, Chris Cuomo. Once. You're talking about Chris Cuomo. Yeah, Chris Cuomo. Yeah, yeah I said Chris Anderson Cuomo. Cooper. Yeah, no, but Chris Cuomo's, like, one of them, too. But yeah. people, yeah, I mean, people... Uh, associate like even here they're like the evil Oregonian you know like and yeah stuff but like there's that. not evil Oregonian reporters I know you had your beefs that you've squashed but no I, I don't think no I'm, I'm not even saying that I'm, I'm not even speaking for me I I I think that I'm in a good spot with all Oregon reporters but I do think that people have a sense of control like from the organization so I like the separation you're making from a journalist versus the publication yeah. itself, I actually don't think that most people make that separation. 
Um, I think, and, and we've seen this from elected officials. Mm-hmm. Text came out recently from Ted Wheeler and stuff like that. The the way that people view, let's give this to the Mercury or mm-hmm. let's give this to the Oregonian or the OPB. Mm-hmm. They're not thinking about it from an individual perspective. Mm-hmm. They're like, this is the type of stuff that Willamette Week does or, mm-hmm. or Mercury or something like that does. Um, journalists themselves have been able to sort of extricate themselves from the publications in mm-hmm. a little bit, like uh, like I think you're saying. But at the end of the day, when something is written, people are like, oh, the evil Oregonian, mm-hmm. and then will throw in the reporter with it as mm-hmm. if they're like the same exact thing. Mm-hmm. But like what people are lacking in that analysis is one, journalists go from publication to publication mm-hmm. too. Yeah. I don't, good point, Greg, but I completely disagree. I think journalists are more underappreciated than hated like Congress mem- members mm. are. But mm. yeah, I see what you're saying. Uh, I definitely would not want to be an underpaid and underappreciated journalist. It so I love sucks, them. dude. Or, or a congressman, especially a state congressman. But they're congressman. not underpaid. Well, at the state level, they are. I mean, we well, interviewed Ricky. Congress. I know, yeah. But, uh, well, people also on, hate their Greg, state. you're better re- than this. But people also hate their state representatives, too. Of but course, we state yeah. Congress. I would but, definitely not do that job. Yeah, I mean. But like, would I do Congress? The world will never know. I mean, I'm, reporters, I have my exploratory it's, committee. It's so funny. The, the the thing that comes with being a reporter is you get like a blue check mark, et cetera, but they probably make bo- less than both of us, you know? Like, exactly. And like get thrown under, the, and they work damn hard. Yeah. Um, and and we have do, worse deadlines than we do. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I can say, no, nah, this is going to happen next week. <laughs> they can't <be> exactly. <laughs> they definitely can't do that. Uh, news happens so fast. And the number these of press releases too. they have to read. Oh, God, I would hate that job. Uh, yeah. I mean, I send a lot of press releases. I know. So. And you're just one person. I know. There's yeah. like 30 I'm Gregs probably, in Portland. I'm probably at least sending like a press release a week. <laughs> and then um, you have the cuckoos who probably send cuckoo press releases. Oh my God. And like the I'm Wi-Fi not, people. Or yeah, like the Wi-Fi people. And also just the people who are emailing saying, why aren't you covering this? Like Wi-Fi or, or 5G or the, the fact that the vaccine makes you magnetic and is tracking my fat ass. Um, you know, like people are... I really think that the vaccine is tracking them in like some podunk town in Oregon and stuff like that. It's like Bill Gates does not care Man. that you're going from one place to the bar to the pizza parlor. Like, it's just like Bill Gates really needs it this information. It depends on how attractive you are, apparently. Because now yeah. we know Bill Gates is problematic. Oh, that is true. Yeah, Bill Gates is canceled. I forgot about that. Yes. I, I'm loving our billionaire wives who are really helping us deal with some wealth inequality right now. So I mean, they're, keep it coming. They're taking the money and then doling it out. It's I nice. know. Yeah. Yes. And meanwhile, their spouses are just in a space war. <laughs> oh, my gosh. All right. So back to Sarah. And so I did want to revisit her comments about you. And I just got to say, Sarah Merck, you are welcome on the show anytime. You might actually want her as a part of the hot takes because, like, damn. She was playing off of you. I feel like no, it- she did it. She was her own self, and so concisely, just like just smacking you on the ass. Like you had nothing to say. Yeah, because I, I was wasn't impressed. expecting it from someone it's- I don't know that well. It's like, damn. Well, I'm not gonna go at you. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm nice. <laughs> 
And it just was so great because, like, typically when I'm coming for you, like, I'm coming hot. I'm yelling. And you she know like me. a smile on her face. <laughs> she was like, nice shoes. And I, I do want to apologize, Greg. You were very sensitive to the fact that the things that I complimented you on were all superficial. You have amazing, like, human attributes that I should compliment. Like your mom. Your mom <laughs> is so beautiful. She just had a birthday. I can't believe someone could be so beautiful at the age of 40. It's She's like 65, but... Okay, okay. so here's oh, the deal. Man. She actually does listen to like, the podcast. I didn't want to <laughs> name her age because I didn't want you to be uncomfortable with it's, me like it, romanticizing your older mom. It's so, so funny. Like, we were out to dinner for her birthday <laughs> and my grandma goes, uh, so where can I find the podcast? And I was like, it might not be like the best thing for you. <laughs> and then my mom was like, yeah, you should not listen to it. Why? My, my grandma has virgin ears. Oh, okay. She probably doesn't want to hear about her her daughter being uh, pursued by thirty year old men. So no, that's probably wait. No, yeah, no, <laughs> of course not. <laughs> well, Connie, if you're listening, I love you. <laughs> she knows that, and I yeah. think she's very flattered. <laughs> yeah, and also, you know, another compliment. Cat's also amazing. So you Jesus are surrounded Christ. by amazing white women. So I'm going to just. And my shoes are dope. Like I got a pair of Burberry slides on right now. <laughs> I got Bomba socks. <laughs> I'm basically a style icon, I think. Well, you were actually on your best behavior during this episode. I was really impressed. As opposed to what? As opposed to previous episodes where, where I, I typically. What? Where you annoy the shit out of me. I think that has more to do with the mood you come into the space with Mm-mm. than anything I'm doing. Mm-mm. I did think about this on the way to the podcast today that I was like, you know, we bring our days with us, you know, <laughs> and it's like you can come in with a shit day or a bad day mm-hmm. or a good day, etc. Is Greg and, avoiding uh, accountability again? No, I'm just <laughs> saying that like uh, we like if we recorded the exact same episode but at a different time, it could come out differently. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Totally. But, you know, you still annoyed me. With what? What do you think? Talking too much? Like, one time it was talking too less. This time no, it was probably talking too much. No, it's not like you talk too much. too much. But, Greg, you have this way of hosting where you go straight to business. And, like, we really need to be able to get to know our guests. We need a little bit of foreplay. And you just want to go wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. And, like, if I wasn't here. Yeah, that is there how would I be... live my life. Exactly. And if I wasn't here, there would be no cuddling. You delete their phone. You'd block them right after. So, like. Well, we had a <laughs> deadline. We were being texted that it was time to wrap up. And no, I'm I mean, like, from the beginning. From the beginning. You were like, yeah, you're a journalist. We had a Let's talk about journalism. You're supposed to get to know a person. Specific. Okay, well, in the next interview, I'll make sure that I just leave it to Beaver then. No, just be like, tell us about yourself. Tell us about your life story, where you're from, how you were raised. Blah, blah, blah. See? (laughs) No foreplay. Yeah, I want to get to business. Oh, probably no lube even. You're just like. Oh, no, I I use lots of lube. (laughs) Special lubes, flavored lubes, all sorts of lubes. Oh, no, I hope my mom doesn't listen to this. (laughs) Or grandma. Uh, That reminds me, we left, when we went on vacation in New York, we have a special bag. Uh, We left our entire (laughs) special bag in a hotel. Oh. Yeah, and so somebody had a rude awakening. Oh. Mm -hmm. It's hundreds of dollars, too. Oh, man. It's okay. Everything new is being shipped to Chris's house. I didn't know you freaky shit. <laughs> Y'all haven't told me, shipped. but like... Everything new is being shipped to Chris's house. I need to warn him after to not <laughs> open those packages. <laughs> well, 
Again, Sarah Merck was amazing. I hope y'all listen to this interview and follow her work. She is somebody who has given so many gifts to this community. And whether it's listening to her work with podcasts, whether it's seeing her comics journalism, there's so much to enjoy and learn and grow from the amazing Sarah Merck. And we have some super hot, spicy news this week. We got a twofer. Uh, first off, we finally have been disappointed, all Jeopardy fans across America, with news about a new host selection. You know, after what change.org petitions and all of this rallying to get LeVar Burton. Change.org petitions usually always work. <laughs> God damn it. Well, in some cases they should. Like, if there's a situation in which a change.org petition should work, this is one. Right. You know, uh, Alex Trebek was the figurehead for Jeopardy for generations. And who else to follow him than someone who is, was a life changer for me and many others for generations, whether that was Star Trek, whether that was Reading Rainbow, LeVar Burton was our guy. Right. I, I mean, and the moment that we are in in the country. It yeah, seems like, like racism a, it, and like, let's give black people a chance for and once. Like, uh, like feel good capitalism, you know, like, of yeah. like, you know, like equity is now a thing in capitalist world. And like, it just seems like sort of a no brainer. And yeah. also he was good at it. Well, and loved. Yeah. Part of his problem, though, was that he had the least amount of viewers out of all the guest hosts. That's because America is racist. No, but because <laughs> his segment was during the Olympics. Right. I'm like, you already set him up for failure. Mm -hmm. You'd be like, oh, we'll see his ratings were low. Yeah, I'm like, of okay. course they were low. Everybody was watching Olympics the fucking Olympics. The nerve. <laughs> so now we have Chad McChad person. Sorry, yeah. I mispronounced his name. Mike Richards. <laughs> and they did. They Same did. Thing. Interesting enough, they actually went with two hosts. Due to our initial backlash. <laughs> Due to our initial backlash. That you know, did not air. Uh, there's <laughs> 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 so they did go with two hosts. I'm still kind of confused with how it's going to work. But they have the regular host, the, mm -hmm. the forefront, which is Mike Richards, who he's done other stuff before, like Beauty and the Geek. But he's the executive producer so it's like mm -hmm. it's like having this whole job search and then hiring yourself yeah basically and the fucked up thing with with him was that he was never even running in the first place right and again covid ruining everything uh there was a guest host that had to cancel and so he did he did it for a week and then he turned out oh i actually want to take this from lavar burton Great. Sounds like Thanks. everything that happens in America with white people and falling up and yeah, it's just, and, and I mean, if you're ever going to want to boost the ratings, I think you would want to bring this huge fan base that comes from Star Trek and stuff. Like it seems like with Alex Trebek leaving, you would mm -hmm. want an infusion of a new fan base, especially obviously Jeopardy, um, their viewers skew older, mm -hmm. um, like and uh, there's just generations of Star Trek fans mm -hmm. um, that ev young ones, old ones that would love yeah. to see him in that role. And so it's really disappointing. And then yeah. just in general, even like if we were to pick somebody, what about Ken Jennings? You know, I, like he would be the only At white least I dude. knew him. Yeah, I, exactly. <laughs> and he had the best ratings anyway. So for me, I'm like, what the fuck did this executive producer who already had a decent enough job that he who... was the executive producer? That's it. <laughs> exactly. That's it. That he got to pick. <laughs> the job that's re the reason why i mean like yeah. it's like it, and it's such a like white male dude thing to do like to like yeah. look at the world and be like who should we pick who should we pick let me mull this over let me think let me think let me think let me think <laughs> all right hear me out here hear me out here how about me 
<laughs> you know, I could do this job. Yeah. Um, but we do want to also shout out that they did make some historic selection. So now they have two hosts and the other one, which is hosting for special occasions. I still don't know what that means because I, unfortunately I don't want, I'm passionate about LeVar Burton, not so much passionate about Jeopardy, but they did select for their second host, Maim Bialik. And ah. she is interesting because she is an actress. She was on Third Rock from the Sun. Never and heard of it. That was the great. 30 uh, Rock? Now the whole, no. Third Rock from the Sun. Now our whole universe was in a hot, dense state nearly for, no, that's Big Bang Theory. Fuck. Yeah. I don't know what Third Rock from the Sun was. I think you mean 30. No, Third Rock from the Sun was a comedy. That was on like ABC. Uh, I didn't watch it. You didn't watch we, it either. Yeah, of course not. It existed. Did we you watch Beauty of the Geek? No. No, I also don't watch Jeopardy. So. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but she's also a neuroscientist. Uh, no big fucking deal. So maybe she could win Jeopardy. I mean, I guess it is good that no, you I would know like, the No, I feel like, yeah, answers. she definitely, I'm glad that she got it. And I've, at least for, for me, I see, you know, the diversity that she brings and her credentials. I'm like, all of that's amazing. Well, just give it I still don't understand. Yeah. And she's still number two. That was the thing. It was like, yeah, even with her. all of this, she's a fucking actress. She's a, you know, a fucking neuroscientist. And yet still, Chad McChad person is the best choice for yeah, number one does, slot. And, like, not to diminish any of her accomplishments, and I'm sure she's immensely qualified, but yeah. it does seem kind of like, they're like, okay, we know we're going to get a little bit of backlash for hiring Chad McChad person. What can we do to it mitigate a little like bit of this it feels backlash? Like yeah. Yeah. Well, well, we're still not going to watch Jeopardy, so shit. <laughs> you know, I probably would have watched two episodes if LeVar had gotten it. Did you watch the two or were you busy watching the Olympics or were you not watching any of it? I, I think I probably was watching um, Broad City on Hulu. Never heard I of it. I love it. Oh, my gosh. Broad City. They need to bring that shit back. You, it's what? good. My wife is it's in like, the background. It's like it's always sunny in Philadelphia, okay. but not Everybody as problematic. in the room yes! is apparently Broad City fans. We got to make a, a no, handshake. I live with my wife and no, she doesn't watch Broad City because there's only- <laughs> She watches it. She's doing the dance. Oh, my God. Yeah, right. Yeah, nobody watches any of that shit anyways <laughs> anyways but we do have other shocking news big what well, shocking yes i think it's big i don't necessarily it's, know shocking it's been in the works for a long time now i, I mean feel. how long did it take for times to finally be up like it it was shocking to see that well after people were calling on his resignation well, okay we're talking he about ignored it. i'm thinking i'm shocking yeah. like oh he finally fucking yeah, listened yeah, yeah. to well, me that's shocking did he listen? Did you watch him resign? He basically <laughs> no, said, okay, he said, um, uh, this is an approximate quote, but was, um, in my mind, I've never crossed any lines, but I did not realize the extent to which the lines have been redrawn. <laughs> so it's not my fault. It's me too's fault. And Ooh. like some of the accusations are incredibly horrible. And there's like 13 victims yeah. um, that are all included in the report. Yeah. Um, but like, it, look at every time, like we even had this in Oregon, you know, in our last interview, we almost talked about, you know, in Oregon, we had a state rep resign recently, Diego Hernandez with similar, you know, accusations, right? Folks deny when has someone have been like, Oh yeah. Like maybe Kevin Spacey, who was like, I did it and I'm gay. But other than that, most men have said, Oh, these are all lies. I'm trying and to think of I'm any time here. somebody has said, yes, I did it. And I should go away because of it. Uh, I can't think of anybody really trying to rack my brain for someone who has just said I've done it and I'm like, Kevin sorry. Spacey. Yeah, but Kevin Spacey basically tried to be like, 
uh, like he tried to like yeah. make it a coming out thing <laughs> instead know. of like an admission to anything that he had done wrong. Yeah. And I'm uh, a God. predator, but I'm a predator with pizzazz. <laughs> I guess Sam Adams. No, no. <laughs> well, Sam Adams admitted to the relationship and to have not been truthful about it. Yes, and but did not that's resign. not the same as sexual assault and right. non-consensual yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just thinking of accusations that yeah. people called for someone's resignation. But he also initially denied it. Yeah, which Cuomo is still yes. basically uh, So denying. we're talking about Andrew Cuomo in case yeah. folks did not know. But And for me, it's really notable for how long he kept going, uh, you know? I, I mean, people, like his, I think Christian Gillibrand, who was always mm-hmm. quick to call for people's resignations, but yeah. um, uh, did so, I think, in March mm-hmm. of this year. Yeah. And so, but it was like at a certain point now where it was Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi calling for his resignation. Yeah. That was like a different thing. But one interesting thing that they're talking about is he has uh, close to $20 million still in his campaign pack. Um, and by resigning, instead of getting impeached, he has the ability to still run for office in the future. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to do that in a state, I mean, we've seen Elliot Spitzer um, resign and then Ooh, try and man. make a comeback. Uh, yeah. Anthony Weiner tried to make a comeback Oof. when he ran for mayor of New York. Obviously, that didn't go well, but a new scandal hit in the midst of his running for mayor, which is a really nice documentary. You New Yorkers, like, where do you find these politicians? I know, right? <laughs> well, part of what they said about uh, Andrew Cuomo is, like, uh, one of the reasons why some of the legislators and stuff in New York were not as willing to call him out is because he was, like, Yo, I'll air your dirty laundry if you go after me. And so, yeah, there is a New York problem here. But that is part of the cycle. Like, if you read the report, it's really a lot about, obviously, the horrible things that he did to women, especially his subordinates, but also just the culture of using his office to not just maintain power, but attack um, people and to twist their arms. And yeah. that might be a unique New York way of doing politics or something, but doesn't seem like something that's going to fly in 2020 no, or it's 2021. No, it's power. Yeah. And I wish oh, I could say go. like all the Andrew Cuomo's of the world will have learned their lesson. No. But the reality is, is that folks who become so powerful and he truly was, what was that? His fourth term as a governor? It, this was his 10th year. Yeah. And his father had served 12 years as governor. Exactly. His brother obviously is prime time on CNN. Yeah. Uh, also embroiled in controversy because yeah. was caught basically helping him craft statements. Yeah. Um, they had an email from Chris Cuomo to Andrew Cuomo that was a version of a statement that yeah. he should be saying. And the other thing is Chris Cuomo has this primetime spot on CNN and not once has he talked about what is basically the biggest story in America right now or one of the biggest mm-hmm. stories in America. You can't have your primetime host not be able to talk about that. Mm-hmm. So Chris Cuomo is now on what they call in the news business a previously scheduled vacation uh, which usually means you don't come back oh wow yeah, I didn't know that he's out so time's I up think. on Chris Cuomo too well maybe uh, we'll see but he's at least out for now yeah. on what is they're calling a previously scheduled vacation but this happened to Bill O'Reilly and Laura Ingram as well on Fox mm. News where they had previously scheduled vacations and uh, the person who is now on MSNBC and was on NBC who was stealing stories or lying about stories I forget their name um, Brian something um, yeah. but uh, like yeah this is yeah. sort of the model of news anchors uh they say they had a vacation and then uh they don't end up coming back at least not in that original primetime spot 
maybe uh, LeVar Burton can take Chris Cuomo's primetime spot on CNN. I would love that. I would love that. Um, so I also want to say, uh, while these are not the most ideal conditions, but the glass did get the glass ceiling did get shattered in this situation. And I think we've seen a number of powerful men get taken down a couple of notches by, you know, history making women. So shout out to Melinda Gates and whoever Jeff Mm -hmm. Bezos married Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. is now divorced from. Uh, But now New York has its first ever woman governor. And it's interesting because Oregon also had a very similar dynamic a couple of years ago Mm -hmm. where our male governor Resigned, and we America had its first bisexual female governor. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, now we have the lieutenant governor, Kathy Hochul. Yep. And you know, in New York politics, sort of turned upside down now because that Cuomo machine was so um, important. Mm-hmm. Even you know, going back decades to his father's career, uh, and they're saying uh, potentially um, the lieutenant governor, who's now governor, could run again, but also the uh, what is it? The attorney general of the state, who's the one that like wrote her. the report. She's the one who sued Trump. Yeah, I think it's Tish uh, is what they call her, but okay. it's like Letitia James. Letitia, yeah, yeah. Uh, and she's uh, and she could be running, yeah. uh, and, and so that could be a heated primary. You know who'd too. be good? Mike Richards. <laughs> oh my God, Chad, Chad He could do it. Or you know what, Levar Burton. Have him be the governor of New York. If he's not going to be able to host Jeopardy, at least have him be the governor of New York, right? Yeah. Give him something, a consolation prize. But I mean, yeah, it's just it's a huge story in America, um, and it's also like a reminder that this is not a right or left problem that exists in our country, right? Like this is a men problem. Yeah, it's in the um, middle of uh, your pants is the yeah. problem. <laughs> Uh, okay, I wouldn't say that, but, uh, <laughs> uh, but I think that uh, I like what's in the middle of my pants. Uh, so, but it, but it, yeah, I mean I like this. This okay, okay. <laughs> all right. Let's, let's cool it down a bit. My, my, my wife is in the room. Um, this is one episode she is listening to, uh, and so. But but I think uh, you know, like it, we we do sort of, but. The other thing is, are these worse than the, <laughs> Now he's covering his penis. No. He's got his hand over his crotch. But <laughs> I've moved my tie down. <laughs> no. But um, are these worse than the accusations that Donald Trump faced? No. Right. And yes, and it so makes like, me perpetually that sad. That double standard is like, that kind of sucks. You know, that like Donald Trump like gets to just was like Teflon on all of this stuff. And, you know. I guess it's maybe because the left or like Democrats have slightly more morals or something. But like we saw even Al Franken resign for those photos that yeah. were certainly inappropriate. But we, you know, lost a somewhat progressive champion in the Senate. Yeah. Um, you know, Anthony Weiner had a, a really shining career ahead of him that was obviously um, taken down due to his own actions. But I don't feel like it's double standard. I feel like that was Donald Trump level. But yeah. Yeah, but sure. But Donald Trump didn't resign. I know. So yeah. That's the double standard. I, I, yeah. Okay, I see. I guess what it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like, it just yeah. feels like Republicans. I mean, Jim Jordan is accused of things when he was a gym teacher um, or a wrestling coach and stuff, mm-hmm. uh, a congressman, and obviously a close ally to former President Trump. And there's just. Uh, what about that guy in Florida? Didn't he have like have sex with a minor? Oh my God, Matt and Gates. He, like, paid? Matt Gates. Yeah, Matt has Gates. This huge sex scandal. Yeah. And these people are now st- he's getting closer to Trump. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And these people are just like. Like, uh, 
it, they don't see the double standard. Yeah. Like, they all are cheering on the resignation of Cuomo as well. So, um, you know, it. let's just elect people that don't have these problems. Uh, I think that's a great point to end it on. How about maybe elect women? <laughs> we can end it on that. Okay, elect women. <laughs> all right. This was Jeopardy for y'all. <laughs> see you, neighbor. Your Neighborhood Black Friends is brought to you by Kelly's Olympian on Southwest 4th and Washington. Learn more about Kelly's at kellysolympian.com. Financial support is also provided by Underdog Law Office. Learn more at underdoglawyer.com. Music this episode was by Donovan Breakwater. Our branding design is by Lindsay Hoft. This episode was recorded by Nalene Silva and Brian Woolen and mixed by Nalene Silva, and we are produced by me, Chris Walsmith. Thank you to this week's guest, Sarah Merck. Thank you to our Patreon, and of course, thank you everyone out there for listening.